0: be seated Good morning My name is JD. I am one of the pastors here at Pillar. I was looking at my notes this morning. I realized it's been a good Four months since I have been in the pulpit, and so I am eager to uh, get started and read and preach the word today. If uh, all of you are in sync with Joshua Brown, uh, as he said to me this morning, you have had four months to prepare for this sermon, so it better be good. So uh, it's a lot of pressure, um, but if only it had been four months. So uh, uh, if you're a member here, I just want to say uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your service to this gathering. Uh, If you're visiting with us, uh, whether this is your first time or you've been here uh, more than once, please know that we are thankful that you have chosen to be with us this morning and we hope that you find this church to be full of Christians who are faithful uh, devoted and obedient. Uh, that is the title of my sermon this morning I know it's not on the screen but the title of the sermon this morning is faithful, devoted and obedient. If you're a visitor as you're as you're looking for a church, it is my prayer that you are looking for a church with Christians who meet this criteria with Christians who are faithful, who are devoted, And who are obedient to their calling in many ways. So faithful and devoted and obedient to Christ. Faithful, devoted and obedient to His bride, the church, this gathering. Faithful, devoted and obedient to the scriptures as we have been already reading this morning. Faithful and devoted and obedient to one another, to to each other as members of one body. Faithful, devoted, and obedient. To walk in the disciplines of the faith. Those disciplines include prayer, Bible reading, studying of the scriptures, gathering with the saints, giving of your times, uh, talents, and and treasures, and, and many other disciplines. And I hope and pray that the members of Pillar are a church who meet this criteria. I hope you think of yourselves as faithful, devoted, obedient followers of Jesus Christ and His commands to us found in Scripture. And as we continue to walk uh, through the book of Acts over the next several months, it will be evident that the Christians who were given the task to carry the gospel mandate ultimately to the ends of the earth were faithful, devoted, and obedient to the calling that was put on their life. As brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, as we get ready to read the scriptures, we'll be in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Let's look at how these followers were faithful, devoted, and obedient, and an example of one who was not. Acts 1, starting in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up, and among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. He became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his boughs gushed out, and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who have a, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst the, among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection, and they must put forward and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justus and Matthias, and they prayed and said, "You Lord, who know the hearts of all." Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. About five years ago, I had a friend um, who called me up and he, and he said, hey, I want to get together and meet. And this was a really good friend of mine. It was a friend who had been in ministry, had been an elder in a church, and he had um, just, just really uh, been walking faithfully. He was a just good friend of mine personally, not just, not just in ministry, but we played sports together, and, uh, and we, played, we ran a Tough mutter together and just had, a, just had a good time. Our families were just really good friends and hung out. But he called me and he said, Hey, I just, I just want to get together and have lunch with you. I got something I want to I tell you. And so as, he, um, as we met for lunch, uh, he told me that he was no longer a Christian. Like I, I don't believe in the Bible anymore, I don't believe in the faith anymore, I, I don't think I've ever believed in the Bible, and I don't really think I was ever a Christian. And I want to tell you that I, as I sat in that meeting that I was shocked, but the truth was it was no surprise, because in the last year of before he told me this, he, his, his faithfulness to the church has started to wane. His, his faithfulness to, uh, to the gathering, and to the scriptures, and to Christianity in general had begun to wane. His devotion to things other than the church started to rise, and so even though he and I ran the Tough Mudder together, he started to, to get in community with, uh, with those who uh, ran obstacle course races, and, and uh, those who ran Spartan races, and, and that's a close-knit community in and of themselves. And he began, to, to, he began to, to journey in another direction. And, uh, and even in his obedience, his, his obedience to, to gather together with the saints, his obedience to, to read the Scriptures faithfully and to pray uh, with his family and with the church began to, to decrease and his rise for things of the world began to increase. And so it wasn't, it wasn't surprising at all that his faithfulness and his devotion, his obedience to Christ had gone away. And his faithfulness and his devotion and obedience to, to things of the world had taken precedence. And so as I sat with him and as, as, I, as I talked with him and I tried to reason with him of, of his own demise and, and how he had gotten to the place that he had gotten, ultimately his faithfulness, his devotion, his obedience was to something other than his devotion to God. Christ. And we have to think about this in light of the Scriptures. We have to think, am I faithful? Am I devoted? Am I obedient to the calling that the Lord has put on my life? Or are things in this world starting to, to take precedence? Are, are things in my own life? Am I putting other things ahead of what the calling that Christ has put on me to be, in a, to be in a, a disciple for Him and not a disciple of something else Is found in this world? And so there's three things I want us to see this morning as we think about what it means to be faithful, devoted, and obedient to the Christ, to Christ and his calling on our lives as brothers and sisters. So as we look at verse 12, we see that the, the eleven plus the addition of Matthias, these gathering saints. They come back from a day's journey away and they gather in Jerusalem in the upper room. This is probably the upper room where Jesus was last with them. And these eleven we see, we see Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon and Judas the son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot. These were gathered together along with others. As we read further, about 120 gathered together. And these 11 that we see here, these 11, they are later on referred to in the book of Acts as uneducated, ordinary men. That is the 11 that these 11 men and women, men gathered together, plus the 120, are are, are declared and referred to as those who are uneducated, ordinary men. Men, but they are also referred to in the book of Acts as those who have turned the world upside down. So from this gathering, this initial group, they would go on to, to do things as, as the Holy Spirit imparts them, as we'll see next, uh, next chapter, that they are able to go on and, and, to, and, and Jesus has prepared them and taught them for a time when He was, when he was with them for this time when He would not be with them. And so as they ascend to the upper room, keep that in mind that the Lord is going to do with this 120 is to reach the world as they knew it. And this was the beginning of that. And so as they ascend to the upper room, the end of the book of Luke tells us that they are returning now to Jerusalem as they ascend this upper room to, to it with great joy. They are coming back with great joy. Joy. In a time where their master has left them. They are left alone. You would think it would be a time of confusion. A time where they would be um, a time of tumultuousness. But instead there is a joy surrounding these brothers and sisters. They knew what their calling was to be. They knew they were to be faithful and devoted and obedient to Christ and Him alone. This meant that as they were commissioned by Jesus to be his witnesses, they would be transformed from very average students and individuals into preachers, into teachers, and messengers of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we read about these 120, as we have read about these 120 faithful, devoted, and obedient servants of Christ, I think it's important for us to see what it is they are doing as they wait for the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would come. So what can we learn? I believe that we can learn three very important lessons this morning. There are obviously more, but I want to point out just three. The first lesson I believe we can learn from these 120 who would go on to change the world, to, to turn the world upside down, is this, lesson one. The church should desire to be unified. The church should desire to be unified. We should desire unity. these 120 that are gathered together, there is a great diversity of people. There are His apostles, as listed here, the women along with Jesus, mother of Mary, and His brothers. John 7, 5 tells us that while Jesus was alive and ministering in Galilee, that not even His brothers had believed in Him. yet, after His death, burial, and resurrection, here they are gathered with the church. They came to believe that Jesus, their own half-brother, was indeed the Messiah. Verse 14, All these were with one accord. So, what was unique about this group gathered in the upper room is that there was, a, there was a lot of opportunity for finger pointing, criticizing. There was opportunity for posturing for a position. Because they were family or more or were more faithful than others had been. I, I can get to where I want to be because I've been more faithful. Remember, John stood at the foot of the cross as Jesus was dying so fingers and criticism could have been pointed at Peter he denied Jesus three times or Peter blaming John for allowing Jesus to be brought into the high priest house in the first place his brother or mother could have claimed that they deserved special recognition since they were part of his immediate family many different circumstances could have caused this gathering to be disunified but they weren't they were with one accord this means that all these 120 that were t- together, as diverse as they were, as, as, as finger-pointing could have happened, and as um, special things could have been given to family, that didn't happen. They were committed to be unified. They recognized they were not just bound together as Individuals. But they were bound together in their belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which they had just witnessed. (coughs) Jesus had given them a great responsibility to proclaim the good news to a lost and dying world. And they knew they needed to join together in this endeavor, as none of them could have done the jobs by themselves. 120 people... Working apart from one another can accomplish a lot. 120 people gathered together working towards the same endeavor can accomplish getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. And that's what happened. Unified believers moving towards one goal to proclaim the good news, to fulfill the great commission that Jesus had given to them as they gathered as saints in the church. And this theme of being unified, it's not just found here with these brothers and sisters, but it's found in many places throughout the rest of Acts and throughout the rest of Scripture. It's a central, it's a central theme throughout Paul's letter to the churches which are called the epistles. Paul is hard on this. And the reason that this theme of unity in the church is emphasized is because when the church is not unified Satan will gladly sow discord among his people. As Paul writes to the Philippians church we must all times must at all times set, our, set aside our own selfish ambition and seek to look at the interest of others. We must not seek to advance our own selfish advances as though they are the real good news. We must seek to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ knowing that He is the only good news that brings salvation to the lost. And so we as members of Pillar Church, we must be faithful. We must be devoted. We must be obedient to our call for unity. We must work together with one accord to accomplish what it is that Jesus has endeavored us to do as His bride. And that unity begins and ends for the believer in Christ. Christ is what unifies His church. It's what brings us together. And even these 120 who are gathered together, they are gathered together because of the cause and the sake of Christ. This is why they are with one accord. Devoting themselves. Second lesson that we see. First lesson is church should be unified. Church should be unified. Second lesson is the church should be devoted to prayer. Church should be devoted to prayer. Prayer. All these with one accord, unified, were devoting, that means giving of their time, effort, and energy, themselves to prayer. As they were celebrating in the upper room and had all things in common, they were devoting themselves to prayer. And notice that the Scripture here reads that they were all praying. Not just some, but they were all praying together. The women, Jesus' family, the disciples were all praying together. It wasn't just a select few, but all Christians should be faithful and devoted and obedient to this act of prayer. This this active participle of praying. Because prayer plays an integral part in the lives of, of these early Christians. It plays an integral part for us as Christians today. And you do not see any action in the book of Acts without there being prayer first. The the disciples and the, the church being prayerful about what it is they were doing. John Bunyan, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, said this, Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God and a scourge to Satan. The shield to the soul, a sacrifice to, to God and a and a scourge or scourge to Satan. Just as the early church was given to much prayer in all times, we need to be just as devoted in our prayers. How often do we move along the course of our lives Never really seeking what the Lord would have us to do or not do. Trusting in ourselves to make vital life decisions instead of trusting in the Lord who holds all things in His hands. Even as we sang the song this morning that the Lord holds all things in His hands. But yet we we trust in ourselves to make decisions. We trust and depend on ourselves ourselves that we can make it happen. But prayer helps develop our relationship with God. It reminds us that we must trust and depend on God with all of our circumstances. That's why we are commanded to pray without ceasing. We must have a continual, ongoing conversation with God that, that pours out as we rely on Him for our spiritual nourishment as we rely on Him for our guidance, for His shepherding over us. So church, we must be a house of prayer. We must focus on this discipline. It shows our dependency on Christ as we trust in His power and not our own. God moves in Acts when His people pray in His name. You can see it as we walk through the book of Acts. I encourage you to read this ahead of time. But you see God move when people pray. When His people pray, God moves. We must do the same. I mean, even Jesus, our, our highest example, our highest authority in the church... Even Jesus, the God-man, prayed continuously for God to intervene, not only in His own life, but in the lives of those those who are around Him. So how should we pray? How should we pray? There's the example of the Lord's Prayer that you see in Scripture. There's also a couple of other different ways. A couple of acronyms that I think are, are helpful for you. If you don't know how to pray, you can write these down. I just think they're helpful. One is actually ACTS. One is ACTS. So you write down the acronym ACTS. If A stands for adoration. Give God praise and honor. Give God the glory He deserves. Adoration. Confession. Confess your sins to Him and Repent. T is for thanksgiving. Give ways that you are grateful for God's moving in your life. And the S is for supplication. Pray for the specific needs of yourself and others. Another acronym that's easy is PRAY. PRAY, right? It's easy, right? Okay. If I want to pray, what do I do? Well, I pray. Praise. I give God the praise that He's due. Uh, I repent, I, I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins, I, I turn away from sin. A, A is to ask, ask the Lord for specific things that He can do in your life and in the lives of others and yield Yield to His will. Not, your, not my glory, Lord, but Yours. That is how we yield. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. That is what we should commit to as we pray together. Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers, was a Baptist minister in England who saw enormous blessings from God upon his ministry. It is not an exaggeration to say that thousands came to Christ through his preaching, and his preaching actually impacts many preachers today. Some of his services drew as many as 10,000 people at a time. But here's the thing, Spurgeon never took credit for the success of his ministry. Never. Instead, he always pointed to the hundreds of people who came before service and prayed for God's blessing. He said any success he had come from God in answer to their prayers. And Spurgeon was often fond of calling these prayer gathers the church's boiler room, the place where the, the, that would happen, the place where the heat would come as they gather together in prayer. He even went on to tell fellow pastors, Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. So we should be a church that prays not only independent, but together. We should pray together. Let us be known as a church that like these early Christians, we were devoted to be faithful, obedient to the, uh, in our prayer lives. If you'd like an opportunity to learn more about prayer and how it affects the church, And even how the church should be praying. How should we conduct prayer services if we do that? On September the 27th and 28th, there's actually a prayer conference that's only a couple of hours from here. But it's put on by Southeastern Theological Seminary, uh, Baptist Theological Seminary over in Wake Forest. September 27th, all day Friday, half a day Saturday. I know that Paul and I are planning on going as elders of the church, but if you'd like to attend, if you have the opportunity to attend... Uh, I would love to bring you along, I think Stephen uh, is actually going to take off from work and try to go with us as well, uh, depending on his schedule, so if you if you would like to attend that, just let me know, and uh, and that would be awesome for you guys to uh, join with us as we go and, and sit in that conference all day Friday, half a day Saturday, and all they're going to be talking about is, is the importance of prayer, the doctrine of prayer, but also how that prayer life should, uh, should be implemented into our churches, and so we're just going to uh, really look at that, and uh, just, just a great opportunity. So if you, if you want to join us in that September 27th and 28th, that would be awesome for, for us to take a contingent of people to, to Southeastern, and we will figure out transportation and all that good stuff in hotels, but just encourage you to be able to join us for that uh, as we seek to know more about um, praying our praying life, and, uh, and the importance of it. We know it's important. We know that the early church uh, participated in this way. We see all throughout Scripture people praying and asking God for specific things. So one, church should be unified. Two, uh, we should be devoted uh, in prayer. And point number three, the church should lean on Scripture. The church should lean on Scripture. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, a keldama. That is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Notice where Peter goes. He goes back to the Old Testament. May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. It's referring to Judas. And then he refers to Psalm uh, six, uh, 109, where it let another take his office. So as may, may his camp become desolate, you will find in Psalm 69, 25. And let another take his office, you will find in Psalm 109, 8. So it was evident that these early disciples knew Scripture. It was also evident that this Scripture guided everything that they did going forward. And so people can look at the Old Testament and go, yeah, it really doesn't have much to say to us anymore since we have the New Testament revealed, right? No, it tells us everything about Christ who was to come. And we see here that these early Christians used the Scriptures for guidance. And so in being faithful to the Scriptures, we see in verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, so then he put stipulations on it. We need someone who has been witness to Jesus from the time that He began ministry. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when He was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to His resurrection. And they put forward two. The first one, the reason they didn't choose him, I believe, or God didn't choose, because he had three names. But just so you see here. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Well, which is it? Just depends. And Matthias. Matthias is a lot easier than saying than saying Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, or Matthias. So I believe the Lord so- sovereignly chose Matthias Because he had an easier name. Hi, kid. Hi, kid. They prayed again. Here we find them praying, asking the Lord, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So we see here that the early Christians were faithful, devoted, obedient to the scriptures that would lead them to be able to know who it was that would be uh, to number one of the twelve, to take the place of Judas Iscariot. See, Peter and the other disciples, they leaned on the Old Testament scriptures for guidance. Jesus himself referred to the Old Testament as these scriptures and as the Word of God and the wisdom of God, Jesus says. The apostles followed suit, quoting the Old Testament as we see in the New. Old Testament even more than Jesus did, referring to the Old Testament as the oracles of God. They knew that they were breathed out by God. They were wrought by God Himself. It's obvious that Jesus and His followers believed the full authority of the Scriptures. But yet, look at, look at what happens with Judas. Judas was, had, he was allotted. It says here in verse 17 that Judas was allotted his share in ministry. Just as my friend Charlie had, had experienced his allotment in ministry and turned aside, Judas did as well. But it wasn't for Judas's own glory. What was it for? Well, Scripture tells us, look, brothers, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. This is something that God wrought beforehand, that God designed beforehand, that there would be one who would, who would, um, who would turn aside what it was that they had seen in Jesus. They would turn aside His Messiahship, His authority, and go His own way. Because it says here, even in verse 25, that Judas turned aside and went to his own place. For he was numbered among us. He was lot of his share in ministry. And then he goes on to, to talk about what happens to Judas. Which Matthew also tells us that he went and he hung himself in a field and eventually his his he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. It's very graphic detail. But graphic in its picture to us of what happens when we turn aside from the Lord. There is no doubt that there is some Conviction of sin that has happened in my friend since he has since he has turned aside. Did I really make the right decision? As I, as I went my own way, did I did I did I is is God really not real? Is is the Bible really not true? And in that there is much vexation. So one of the things that it tells us in Matthew is that Jesus, I mean that Judas, Iscariot, actually felt great remorse and regret. Now that's different than repentance. That Judas felt regret. He he felt remorse for his sinful actions and actually tried to go and, and give the 30 pieces of silver back to the leaders. But he missed. He missed the very thing that could allow him to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that was repentance. That was actually turning away from his own sin. Falling on his knees and praying to the Father, Forgive me. Forgive me. Open my eyes. Help me to see. Open my heart to the good news of Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. And yet Judas turned aside. I pray that that would not be any of us today. That we would search our hearts That we would be found faithful, devoted, and obedient to what Christ has called us to. That we would be apostles, that we would be the ones who would be called out to carry forth the gospel into Jacksonville, to Onslow County, to the the utter ends of the world, if the Lord allows us. And that we will be faithful and devoted and obedient to His calling that we would not be like Judas who would walk beside Jesus, who would share in His allotment of ministry, and yet to not be one who would enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we must search our hearts. We must search our hearts and ask ourselves, Am I faithful? Am I devoted? Am I obedient? to Christ? And if not, what am I faithful, devoted, and obedient to? Because if it's not Christ, you are faithful and devoted and obedient to something. It's just unfortunately something that is in this world. And so we must search our hearts. We must ask the Lord to forgive us. We must believe in the good news that Jesus Christ did walk on this earth. That Jesus Christ Christ did suffer and sacrifice Himself for those who would put their faith and trust in Him. And that His death and burial and resurrection is to be believed and to be witnessed by these 120 who would go on to change the world. It is an example to us. It is an example to us that we are called to go and proclaim the good news. And now, just as these disciples have, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And that as we proclaim the good news, that Jesus will be faithful and sure to open hearts and eyes and ears to believe the good news. He has done it for me. He has done it for others in this room. And if you're here and you have not put your faith and trust, He can do it for you. So, Pillar, I pray that we would find ourselves faithful, devoted, and obedient to the call that Jesus Christ has put on our lives. To live lives of distinction. To live lives of holiness. To obey the Great Commission and making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all of Jesus' teachings. Are you doing that? Are you faithful in that? I pray that we are unified, that we're working together for the good of the Gospel. That we are setting aside our own selfish ambitions as Jesus has done for us. So that we may not look to our own interest, but we may look to the interest of others. And may we be a church devoted to prayer that this would happen. That God will be faithful to do this in our midst. Not only in our church, but to also to the, to the neighbors and the people that we work with and, and this county that we live in. In this world that we reside. May we be devoted to prayer that God would change hearts in our midst. That He would continue to change and sanctify us. And I can assure you that the more that this church, or any church for that matter, prays, that unity will not be a concern. If you are, we are faithful to be on our knees praying, unity will be a matter that is not even thought about. So I pray that we will be faithful in prayer and obedient to His calling. I pray that we are a church that loves the Scriptures, that we would be reading and memorizing and meditating on it day and night. Because these scriptures hold the source of absolute truth in a, world, in a world that is filled with seemingly no absolutes. As we will see throughout this great book of Acts, as we continue to study it together, the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles devoted themselves regularly and fully to unity, to prayer, and to the regular reading of the Word. And I pray that we would be the same. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank You for this time. Thank You for just the Scriptures that You have given to us Lord, that change us, transform us, renew our minds. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we can communicate with you through prayer. That we can pour out our hearts to you, Lord, our, our, our troubles and our concerns, Lord, and also our joy and our praise. Lord, I do pray for unity in this church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be unified together, working towards one cause. That is the good of the gospel to those who need to hear it. Worshiping together, praying together, singing songs together, but also not forgetting what's outside of these walls. People who are dying and going to live for an eternity apart from You. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in gathering together, in building one another up in our holiness and godliness as You work and sanctify us. And also just be faithful to the commission that You have given to us and the mandate to where we should carry it. The Great Commission of the Good News of the Gospel. Preach to all the world that is for us. These people gathered together here in Pillar Church of Jacksonville. Help that to weigh upon us. Help it to to guide us and direct us on our endeavors as as Christians who are scattered about all over these uh, different areas and all over the world. Just help us to be faithful, devoted, and obedient has sent out ones for your gospel. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.